0: Our series normal. If you missed last week, we just started last week. and Next week's the last week. It's just a three week, just a short little one. And uh, before we get into this week's uh, lesson, I, I really want to just touch base on a couple things. One, we have um, no Thursday night service in two weeks. Because we figure you're all going to be in a food coma anyway, right? It's Thanksgiving Day. Spend that time with your family. And then come join us on Sunday if you're able to do that. Some of you come because you can't come on Sundays because of work. But if you can come that Sunday, come Sunday because we're doing a very different, unique worship experience that Thanksgiving. It's all focused on Thanksgiving and gratitude. And I think you're going to get a lot out of that. Also, we have a baptism class coming up for littles, uh, like third, fourth, fifth grade, elementary age. And if you are interested in that, contact the office, get them signed up, or even if If you're here on a weekend service, just make sure you get down there and sign up down there. But it's going to be the 21st at 1045, and we require, um, let me, in parentheses, mandate that parents join the child in that, because we want you to know that they really get what we're talking about before uh, we we go through with their baptism. We want to make sure you understand that they understand, you know, what what they're getting into and then that huge decision that they're making. So that's coming up as well. And a couple other things, too. We have a pop-up market coming up in December, December 4th, and uh, we've already had several people asking us about being a vendor and how that works. We have some forms in the lobby, so if you're interested, maybe you have a a business, a business out of your home, a small business, and you want to have one of those booths where we're providing six-foot tables uh, for $30 or two six-foot tables for $50. So if you're a little bit bigger, it's a little bit more money, but not quite twice as much. Anyway, all of that money that we make from that goes to help our kids go to camp during the summer and that's the only thing we're taking from that. So everything else is just a chance for us to support our local businesses. If you're interested in that, please let us know. Go look at those forms. Fill those out. You know, pay that fee and uh, your rent for your space and uh, we'll we'll be ready to go. But that's coming up and it's going to be on December 4th from like 1030 to 2 and there's uh, some more information about that on my blog tomorrow on our website and then uh, we have it on our Facebook page on our community page and Instagram right now, too. There's some information there as well. The other thing I want to share with you is some really good news. The last several weeks, we've been interviewing and working with a young man who we felt like could be a great fit for our team and our church family as our new family pastor. And the good news is, is that Monday he said yes. And so in December, Donnie Criswell is going to come and join us. Here's a picture of Donnie. There's no picture? It was there earlier. I wonder what happened. Oh, well, that's all right. Just trust that he's, he's a really nice person. He's a real person. Anyway, he's going to be starting with us in December. I wanted to share that with you. Are there pictures on the other ones that I have pictures for? Just kind of scan through the list. Excuse us for just a minute. Okay, we're okay on the other ones. Okay, something happened with that one. Glitch. All right. Um, Like one of my friends said, the devil is in technology. So sometimes that happens. Uh, But anyway, we are very excited about that. And when they do get here, he and his wife, Becca, and their little daughter, who's about a year and a half, Bray Lynn, will be joining our team. And uh, we're we're really excited about that. It's going to be a huge help for us and uh, excited about that. He's somewhat local, even though he grew up in Tennessee, he's been on staff at a church in Moreno Valley for the last few years. And he's been their youth pastor, he's going to move into our family pastor role, and we're really, really excited about that. So anyway, that's coming up, and we, we, are, we are, yeah, excited about that. So anyway, we are, our series, Normal, if in case you're new to community, every November we take a few weeks and we talk about financial stuff. And so in order to kind of start this week off, I need a volunteer who is not going to leave during the service. Does anybody want to help me out? I just need a volunteer to run up here. I need, I need your help. For one thing, and that's all you have to do. You don't even have to talk if you don't want to, okay? Any, any volunteers? Anyone? Okay, come on up. All the way up here. All the way up here. There's stairs over on that side. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have you hold some money for me throughout the whole service. That's why I want to make sure you weren't going to leave. Okay, so it's a $100 bill. That's mine. That's not the church. That's mine. And so you can just hold it. I don't want you to lay it down. I don't want you to give it to him. I want you to hold that for the whole service. Okay? Okay. Thank you. Go sit down. All right. Awesome. All right. So... We will come back to this in a little bit, all right? I'm going to just give you a heads up there. We're going to come back to that idea. But here's what I want to do. I want to get you caught up in case you missed last week. And even if you were here, I know a lot happens. And Just to kind of remind us where we started. Here's what we said in week one. Like, who really wants normal, right? Like, who really wants normal? Normal is not always a good thing. Normal is sometimes not a bad thing, but normal sometimes is not a really good thing. And financially, it's not a good thing at all. And so we talked about some of the problems that the normal person in America faces with stress, and debt, and anxiety, all that when it comes to financial matters. But we said we're going to move from these normal attitudes to some new attitudes. And so real quickly, here's what we said last week. New attitude number one, I am not an owner, but a manager of God's money. Okay, so we said when you look at your bank account on your app, or you, you're, like, you're totally old school and you get it in the mail, you look at your bank statement, just, just be reminded that that's God's. I'm just the manager, okay? New attitude number two, I'm responsible to advance the owner's goals, not my own. Look, let me just stop here for a second. If you have a financial advisor, let's say you go to somebody and you say, hey, look, I, I plan on retiring in 300 years. You know, how do I get to where, you know, what are my goals? If you have a financial advisor that helps you with that. So, When you go and visit them, like like maybe once a year you have like an appointment. You come in just, hey, where are we at? How are we doing? What, everything. And he says, by the way, I was able to use some of the money you invested. And my wife and I went on a cruise to Alaska. We had so much fun. How much longer would he be your financial advisor, right? Okay, so it's not mine. I'm actually, if it's God's, he's the owner. I'm going to take my cue from him. New attitude number three, we said this. I demonstrate who the owner is by honoring the owner first. So these are some of the things we talked about last week. And, and not a verse we used last week, but I want to give you another verse that says and kind of sums up what we talked about. This is out of First Chronicles. Listen to this. Everything. Everybody say everything. everything. One more time. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O oh Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Like we, we had looked at some other verses that said, you know, God owns everything, it's, it's all belonging to Him. He is the owner. Well, today I want to look at a story in the Bible that I'm, I'm aware of the story, but I've honestly never thought about it this way, and I've definitely never taught about it before. And it's the story of the triumphal entry, which I've I've mentioned, I've talked about, I've taught about that. But this time we're gonna look at the owner of the donkey that Jesus used. I've never thought about this before. And I was watching a friend of mine who was teaching on these things, and he used this story, and I'm like, I've I've never considered this, I've never thought about this. And so I want to share with you some thoughts that I got from his message and some other things I was working on this week. Um Let's go to Matthew chapter 21. That's where we're going to kind of be for the bulk of this story. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, Matthew 21. And we'll have it on the screen here as well. Uh, But in this story, it's the story of the triumphal entry. But I want you to watch for the guy who owns the donkeys. It's a very small part, but he's in here. All right, here we go. From Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, check this out, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Okay, we're going to just stop there for a second. The first thing Jesus does, he just says, by the way, you're going to go into town. There's going to be a couple donkeys there. Just take them. Now, he's not talking about stealing anybody's stuff, by the way. You're going to find out later that apparently God had already been moving in, in the owner's heart to, like, say, it, it's okay. Like, you know, we, we really want you to do this. But, but here's the funny thing. As I read this story, I'm thinking this. Aren't we kind of afraid that God's going to ask us for something big? Like, here comes that financial series. He's going to ask us for a whole bunch of, like, all of our money. What, what's going to be? And in this story, all Jesus is asking for is just to borrow a couple donkeys. Just think about that for a minute. Don't don't let that pass you by. Okay, let's go on to verse 3. He says, If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. So apparently this guy is like already in tune with the plan. We don't know anything else about that. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. By the way, that's, that's a prophecy from 500 years before Jesus shows up, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 6. The disciples went and did just as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that were, went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, I love this, got to get this, the whole city was stirred. Okay, I want you to remember that phrase. When Jesus enters, he's coming in on these donkeys. They've got the cloaks there. The People are putting you know, the palm branches down. The whole, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Here's what we're going to do. I, I want us to look at how absurd, from our thinking, God's ways are sometimes. The way God operates, we're like, really? Why? That, that's just crazy. It's, it's crazy. Think about it. It's crazy because God does some crazy things, and it's, and it's absurd. Check this out. Number one, it's absurd that God asks us for anything. You ever thought about that? Like, why does God ask me to participate? Why does God ask me to share some of my money? Why does God ask me to give some of my time? Like, does God really need that? Like, couldn't God have just said, couldn't Jesus in this moment have just said, you know what? I'm going to make my own donkey. Boof. And by the way, guys, check this out. I made him sound just like Eddie Murphy. You know, it's like Jesus could have just made his own donkey. Why why did he need to have somebody else, like, borrow their donkey? Why is that? It's absurd to think that he would ask us for anything, right? Think about it. Jesus asked to borrow something he created. He asked to borrow something he created. Evidently, God had already placed it on the heart of this person to let the donkeys go so that, so, that, so that he could do what was, was prophesied 500 years earlier. And, and I just think, as kind of a side note, it's like, God is up to stuff that we don't see. Like, he sends the disciples, he says, just go and just take him, And if somebody asks, and it's going to be okay. It's like, I've already kind of like communicated with them, like God had either placed on his heart, maybe Jesus had already had a conversation they didn't know about, but they just go and untie. And the guy goes, what are you doing? He goes, the Lord needs him. Okay. Like, God is up to stuff that we don't always see. We don't want to understand, like, how He works sometimes, but that's what He's doing. And listen to me God can do stuff without us. But here's the amazing thing He chooses to do stuff with us. He wants to do stuff through us. Like, He invites us into the process so we can do it together. Think about it your time, my time, your talents, my talents. Like, God says, I know I don't need these things, but I want you to come with me. Let's do this together. It's it's absurd that God would ask us for anything when you think about it. What if what if we all said, God, if you want my donkey, <laughs> I'm all in. Like if you whatever I got, it's like what if we all said that? What if we all had that kind of receptivity to God's leading in our life? I'm gonna give you a, a side story for just a moment. It happens in 1 in Kings, and Elijah actually is talking to a widow in this particular point. And what's what's amazing is this this story is retold by Jesus later. And as he retells it, the point he's making is that God is is not just about the Jews, even though they were the chosen people. Like, God is even going to go beyond that. And so Jesus tells the story of Elijah with his widow from Zarephath, who actually is a Gentile. Like, God did this thing. And and when Jesus tells the story to the Jews, they want to stone him. But this is the story he's referring to. It's in 1 Kings Chapter 17, verse 13. Elijah said to her, so this widow, by the way, there's a famine. She has no food. She's on her way, if you read the whole thing, she's on her way to gather up some stuff to make their last supper. And her and her son are going to eat their last meal, and they know that's all they've got, and they're going to die. Okay? Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. What does that say right there? Nice and loud. But first talk about absurd. This is, this is crazy. Here we go. But first, make a small loaf of bread, and watch this, for me, from what you have, and bring it to me, and then make something for yourselves and your son. Like what? If you read verse 14, he says, and this is what God's going to do for you. The oil will never run out. The flour will never run out until this famine is over. God will completely, miraculously provide for you. But first, you make something for me, then God's gonna do something for you. But first. I can't read that story without being stuck on those two little words, you know, like, but first. And we, we've said this over and over in different ways in our church. In fact, another way that we've said it here, it goes like this, obedience, then blessing. Same concept, but First. Put me first, and you're going to see what I'm able to do. It's absurd that he would ask for anything. Number two, check this out. It's absurd that Jesus rides into town on the generosity of ordinary people. Anybody ordinary here? I got both hands up. (laughs) I'm so ordinary. I'm just plain ordinary. That's who I am. But God uses ordinary people, and it's absurd that he rides into town on the generosity of some ordinary person here. If we were like Jesus' marketing strategist, we would not have him come in on a donkey, right? Hey, Jesus, why don't you get some of your angels? You know, the ones with the multiple wings and the face of a bear and the face of a lion and the face of an eagle. Like, let's get like five or six of those. And you just stand on their backs. We're going to get some attention, right? You know, if they're busy, let's, let's at least get a Bentley. Let's do something nice, right? No. Like, I'm just going to get this donkey, and we're just going to come into town, and that's how we're going to do this. Think about this. When Jesus came into town on a borrowed donkey, the whole city was stirred. He didn't need anything else to get people's attention. And sometimes we, we, we were looking for the extraordinary, but here's the beauty. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. God invites us to do stuff with him, but even though we're ordinary, he does some miraculous stuff. I got, a, I got an email at the end of last week. I didn't respond to it right away. Somebody had asked me to give them a call. I didn't know them. Um, they'd never been to this church. And as I read the letter, it was like, I, I wanted to tell you something about your dad. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll call them when I have a minute. So it took me a couple of days, and I found like, oh, yeah, I need to call those people. And I called her. Her name is Keely. I called her up. I told my dad about this this week when we were having dinner. And this, this lady says, I just wanted to tell you how your dad changed our life. I mean, This is, like, you should tell him, you know, but it's like they found me based on the internet and they, they figured out, like, he had these two kids, John and Tammy, and knew I was in the ministry. She looked found me on the internet, sent me an email and says, yeah, I want to talk to you about your dad. So I, I called her. She says, your dad made a huge difference in our life. And my, my parents were at the uh, Granite Hills Christian Church in El Cajon, California, back in the early 90s. And uh, this family started going there in the early 90s, in, in 1990, as a matter of fact. She tells me the story this way. She says, I grew up Lutheran. My husband grew up Catholic. And we really didn't go at all anymore. She goes, every now and then, I, I would think I was spir- spiritual because I would get out my Bible and I would, I would maybe read a little bit. But we didn't really go to church. And they they were young and married and they just had their first daughter. And she says, My husband in particular, she goes, I was I was kind of open. I was thinking maybe maybe we should go to church. And so in fact, I, I found this this Granite Hills Christian Church and, and and went there, but my husband, he wasn't like opposed to God. He just I've already done church. And in the eighth grade and as a Catholic, he says, Okay, I got it, I'm done. And his only experience with you know Christianity was this 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 rigid, stiff, like holy kind of catholic experience that he had seen as a kid and so he didn't know there was uh, you know maybe another way to look at this so he's like "I, i i just you can go but i'm not going for whatever reason um they they asked my dad if if he would like to maybe play tennis with this guy one day my dad didn't play tennis much but he remembers playing a couple of times you know he was really more of a basketball dude the ball is just bigger it's easier to see. Anyway, no, he's playing tennis. And so he goes and he plays with this guy who had never been to his church yet, but he goes and spends some time with him. Literally, he's generous with his time. With a guy he never met, just goes and plays tennis with him. As she tells the story, that was the turning point. He comes home. His only experience being around a, a spiritual leader was a priest, right? And so he says, get, get what he said. He said, he was normal, like shocked by that. Like he's, he's a religious leader, but he was normal. He goes, I, I think I could go to his church. And six months later, he was baptized. I'll tell you that story because not only was it just fun for me to listen to the story and then fun to kind of pass it on to my dad, I wanted to pass it on to you because sometimes we think, you know, being generous means I have to write a big check. Sometimes generous just means I need to spend some time with somebody. I'm generous with my time. I'm generous with my abilities. I'm generous with whatever it is. And it's like all those things could be kind of seen in this story when you think about it. When you think about how God works through us, how God works through the ordinary he does some extraordinary things, and all we have to do is just say, hey, I'm open. I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm available. That, that's what we need. In fact, if you think about it, it's absurd that God used a guy named Saul who was persecuting the church. It's absurd that God would use Saul to become the greatest church planter and missionary in the history of the church. Like He, he got the word out to the known world. There, there's, a, there's a passage in the book of Acts where it says because he was in Ephesus for so long, everyone in the region, everyone in the region which worked beyond the city limits, everyone in the region knew of Jesus. It's absurd that God would use a guy that was persecuting the church to be the one to lead the church. But God uses just ordinary people. Maybe, maybe even people that sometimes we don't think he, he should be using. But God uses us in those cases And I think when we look at the whole city was stirred, I think that phrase just stuck with me. I kept thinking, God still wants to stir cities. God still wants to stir like this valley. God still wants to stir the people who are here. And how does that happen? It, It happens when they see Jesus. Well, how do they see Jesus? Through ordinary, normal people who love them in extraordinary ways, who are patient with them who are generous with, with their time and their life. And when we are uh, able to do exactly that, be generous with our life, then people, people get to get a, a glimpse of who He is. And when we're generous with, with God's grace, and when we treat people with respect, even though we may not agree with Him at all, but we treat them with respect and honor, then God is honored by that. It might just be the... The, the normal, or maybe in this case, not so normal way that they're treated that it's like it stirs them. And they begin to ask some questions. By the way, you're here today because of somebody else's generosity. I mean, we're, we're in a room, in a, in a building, in a space provided by people who were generous financially. But you are also maybe... Uh, interacting with somebody at some point in your life who was generous with their time and generous with God's grace and the way they treated you made you ask more questions. Or maybe it was your mom and your dad that led you to the Lord, like in my case. But it was was somebody in your life was generous with their life, with their time, with their money, whatever it was. And now we're all in the same room together. Maybe you're watching online, you're thinking, you know, you got your list of people who made a difference in your life. It's like, God used these people in your life, generous people, for whatever reason, to help you out. I, I heard the story this week of, of a lady named Mrs. Sharp. I don't remember her first name, but Mrs. Sharp, on a regular basis, would take her little poodle out for a walk in the evenings. And with her little poodle, little miniature poodle, she would take her bag. You know what I'm talking about, Right? I heard one time, like if 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 aliens ever came to you know the world and they're watching, trying to figure everything out, and they would see somebody walking behind the dog and then picking up all the remains, they would figure the dog's the one who's in charge, right? So, but anyway, this this little lady, Mrs. Sharp, she's an older lady. She's got her little miniature poodle. She's got her bag for when the dog does its business in somebody else's yard. She's she's ready there, and so she had cleaned up a couple of little times and. Made her way back, and almost she's almost home, and a mugger jumps this is a true story a mugger jumps out of the bushes, knocks her over, and grabs the bag and runs with his victorious bag in hand, right? They said later on she she had broken an arm, he pushed her so hard, she broke her arm, the paramedics were there, the police were talking to her, and she said. I only wish I could have given him more. (laughs) Now, that's the spirit of generosity, right? That's a pretty good sense of humor, too, right there. I just wish I could have given him more. It's number three, it's absurd. Check this out. It's absurd that our generosity writes us into the story of God. I recently heard someone say this God has a great story. Discover your page. God has a great story. Discover your page, your your part in that story. And we we can either be written into it by our generous way of life or we can be written out of it by our greed. Did you know that? God's going to do it, and he invites us, and we can be a part of it. Or maybe by our stubbornness or by our greed, we we opt out. Like He can use people like, like Joseph of Arimathea. You know who Joseph was? Jesus dies on the cross for us. And he has to he has to borrow a tomb for a few days. Let's see, he's not going to be there long. But Joseph is written into the story of God because he says he can use mine. I love the story that's repeated in all four gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different guys, four different kind of vantage points on Jesus. We've talked about it before. Four different audiences they're writing to, so they include different things from Jesus' life because of what they're trying to accomplish as as pertains to who they're writing to. Four different ways to look at Jesus' life. All four carry the same story. All four. Now, they all four talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection, but there's very few stories that are repeated in all four, and this one is. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And the reason I love the story is not just because of the miracle how God takes this little lunch and and he multiplies it and all these people eat and there's leftovers. I love the story because I I resonate with the little boy in the story. Remember the little boy? Like Jesus already knows what he's going to do so he's kind of like messing with his disciples. I love that about Jesus. He's just messing with them a little bit. He says, oh, you know, what, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to feed all these people? And they're like, well, what are you talking about? We're going to feed them. Like, how, we, we can afford that. There's no way we can do that. And like, well, what do you think we should do? Like, Jesus already knows what he's going to do, and he's just, like, pushing their buttons a little bit. And then finally somebody says, well, you know, there is a kid over here. He's got uh, two fish and five loaves of, of bread. And we're not talking, like, wonder bread or like these little barley loaves. Like, he's got a couple fish. He's got his own sack lunch, right? And we don't have the whole conversation, by the way. We don't know what he was promised or if he was promised anything. We don't know. Say, if, if you give this to Jesus, you're going to get twice as much back. He, we don't know what was said. All we know is the next thing, Jesus has this kid's lunch, and he's breaking it, and he's praying over it, and all these people are fed. So the little kid says, okay, here, have mine. And I've thought about this story over and over and over through the years. I keep going back to this little boy, and I keep thinking, what was it like when he went home at the end of the day, Right? Like he goes home at the end of the day. Some of you have been in a community long enough. You know, I've, I've, I've actually kind of wrestled with this picture before. I was thinking that maybe, maybe he gets home and his mom's in the house. She didn't get to go and he just ran off by himself and she packed him lunch and, and, and he comes home. But, but the one thing that the Bible doesn't say I think happened, just hang in there with me. Remember, how, how many basketfuls of leftovers were left over? You remember? Twelve, right? So there's 12 baskets left over. I think they gave him one. Hey, you gave us your lunch. Here's a basket. So he gets home, and he sets it outside the house, right? And he walks in, and his mom says, well, how was it? What did Jesus talk about? He says, it was amazing. She goes, did you have enough to eat? He goes, well, I, I gave my lunch to somebody else. And she's like, oh, my, my special, generous little son. Let me, let me make something for you. And she starts, and he goes, no, no, no. You don't have to make anything. Hold on he goes outside and picks it up, brings it in, like, boom! Like, what? And he gets to tell her the whole story. Like, this kid had a front row seat to an amazing miracle where thousands of people were fed because of his lunch. Now, here's the truth. God could have used anybody's lunch. Jesus could have said, okay, no, you can keep yours, but I'm going to use it. He's like, we don't, we don't know how many other people may have had food with him. But apparently this kid was the one who was willing to say, here, you can have mine. And he got the front row seat to the miracle. It's, it's absurd to think about it. It's absurd that our generosity writes us into the story of God and all four Gospels write about this kid. Remember what we said earlier too. 500 years before this, it's written that Jesus would come into Jerusalem on a donkey and then 500 years later, because of the generosity of one donkey owner, Jesus fulfills that destiny in that moment. Here's another one, number four. It's absurd that he got the donkey back. Now, I'm going to just tell you right up front, the Bible doesn't say if the guy got his donkeys back. I just know how God operates. In fact, speaking of getting something back, um, um, Darnay, could you come up here for just a second? Speaking of getting something back. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I didn't forget this. I put it in my notes in bold letters. <laughs> and based on how this was going to go, it helped me know whether I was going to try this on Sunday or not. Okay, thank you. Uh, quick question, yeah, right? Um, what did you think about when you were holding this? Make sure I gave it back. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Was there any kind of tension or weirdness? Was it weird for you? No. No, you're okay. You knew it was mine, and you're just going to give it back to me and make sure I got it back. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. There you go. Thanks. That one's yours. All right. I'm just showing that's, that's how God works, right? That's somebody I found in the parking lot. I don't know whose it was, but (laughs) kidding, kidding, kidding. Right. Somebody walked in, we had a pastor's meeting this morning here and somebody walked in and found a $20 bill out in the parking lot. And I was just like, no, it wasn't mine. So they got 20 bucks. So I I was happy for them. Right. Here's, let's, let's go back to our donkey owner for just a minute. Like I said, I, I believe he got his donkeys back. And the reason I believe that is because I know how God works. Let, let me give you some examples of this. Right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Just listen. He's talking about financial generosity. That's what he's talking about. He says, "Now he who supplies seed to the sower, that's God supplying us when we're generous. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will, check this out, enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that, look at this, so that you can be generous on every occasion." He's saying, let's just stop here for a second. He's just saying When you're generous, he's going to resupply that so you can be generous again. He's like, why would I turn off that faucet? I'm going to continue to supply. Okay, let's keep going. He says, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. When, when we are generous people with our time, with our abilities, with our finances, whatever it is, God does get the credit, and then there's thanksgiving to God. He ends the whole thing down in verse 15 of the same passage. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I'm saying, if you want to talk generosity, let's just talk about God. He's the one that models this for us, right? But he always gives back. That's what he does, right? Here's another one. This is out of Luke. He says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He, he says it both in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, earlier than what we just read, and here he's just saying... It's kind of that, that principle, you reap what you sow. If if you just if you say, here's a little bit of my time or here's a little bit of my money or here's a little bit, whatever, then, then your reward, your, your harvest, your blessing is just going to be a little bit too. But the more we engage with this, the more we say, God, I'm, I'm all yours. You, you, you need my time. I'm there. It's like God says, okay, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to multiply that, and I'm going to give back to you, and it's going to continue because God gives back. That, that's what he does. Here's another one. This is out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, command, them." he's talking to the people in the church. And, and by the way, the verse before this, he says, command those who are rich. But don't think you're off the hook there because if you have a refrigerator, you're rich in this world. More than half the people in the world don't have a refrigerator. They're not that lucky, right? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way. In what way? By being generous and willing to share. They will lay up up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly... Life. He actually says there's a couple things here. One is when we're generous, we, we do something that's going to prepare us and help us in eternity, but we're also going to experience life now better than we ever could have before. That's what he says. It's absurd that God would just invite us to, to experience these kinds of things, but he does. It's absurd that this guy got his donkey back, but that's what, that's what God does. Now, if you're a guest with us right now, let me just say this is not for you. Let me t- talk to those of you who say community is my home. Community is my home. Most of you at our church have already figured out, you know where the offering boxes are out there if you give by check. Most of us give online through a, an app called PushPay, or we have uh, through our bank called Autopay or whatever. It's like we, we've figured out how to do those things. If you ever have questions about those things, you can always ask. But I'm just going to say, when we put God first in our financial matters, God, just by example, he, he always shows us that he's going to resupply and give back so that we can do it again. Now, I'm not saying what I've heard on television, on the comedy channel. I mean, the religious station, whatever it's called. I heard a guy one time say, if you will give us $1,000, God will bring you a brand new Cadillac, right? It's like, that kind of stuff just rubs me the wrong way. It bothers me on so many levels, right? So when he resupplies, he resupplies in all different kinds of ways so that we can continue to be generous, so that we can continue to make a difference, so that we can continue to understand that people's lives, eternal lives, are like on the line. And we want to be a partner with him, letting him work through us and all of that. And because, I love this, because people at community have been doing this for years. Since we've been in this space right here for 17 years, we've been in this building for 17 years. Since we've been in this building, we've seen 1,735 people baptized in this space. That's because of your generosity. Yeah. In 17 years, we've seen over 1,700 people give their life to Christ and be baptized. That, that's amazing. And if you've given at any point, like, you're a part of that. If you've volunteered, you're a part of that. Like, you're, you're part of the reason why this is amazing. It is an amazing thing. I had somebody uh, a couple years ago. I was talking about how many baptisms we'd had in this space. And they said, well, who are all those people now? Really, really pleasant, pleasant conversation I said, let me tell you where they are. Some of them liked the parable of the sower. Some of them didn't have the roots, and they kind of went away. Some people got caught up in the worries of the world. But I'm going to tell you, like, in the last few years, a lot of these people have actually moved to different places in the country. We, We counted last year until we lost count. We had counted over 40 families who had left starting in August of last year until we got to the summer of this year. Over 40 families had left. We were finding out because of COVID and not everybody being in person and some people being engaged online. We were finding out people had moved. We didn't even know they were moving. They just said, hey, we're so glad you're still doing this online. We live in Washington State now. You moved? We didn't know. Bless you. Be generous with the blessing because it's going to come back, right? But here is the truth. And I know Idaho and Arizona and Texas are the big ones. But with the exception of Alaska and Hawaii, I don't know of anybody who's moved there. With the exception of that, you you name me a state, I'll tell you, we got people from community there now. And here's the truth. We, we have been blessing the United States of America. Happy Veterans Day. Right? It's like we have been blessing the country with people from our church who are all over the place now. And and I've talked to some of them who are already plugged in, already serving in other churches. That's like I, I, don't, I don't know where they're all going to go and what's going to happen, but I just know we've been a part of a lot of them starting their relationship with God. Over 1,700 people in the last 17 years. That, that's a pretty amazing thing that God has been able to do right here. Let me tell you something I truly believe. I, I believe, though, as much as I like to look back and see what we've done, I believe our greatest days of impact are ahead. I really do. And I think with, with the weirdness of what Our country and our world has experienced in the last twenty years, a couple of things that we know for sure. I'm not not gonna get into the politics and the polarization, I'm just a couple things we know for sure. People are desperate and hungry for human connection. We were wired that way by God. And who better creates community than the church? I think our best days are ahead. People are going to figure out that going to football games is fun with 100,000 people, but it doesn't really really feel, uh, fill that, that void of, of community and belonging that we all really need. People are going to go to concerts, and it's great, and it's fun, but it doesn't really do the same thing that the church is able to do. And I think in the future, we're going to see more and more people, and it may look different, it may feel different, but I think, I think our best days of impact are ahead of us. I'm not even sure what that all looks like. But I know that if community is going to be a place where people are like generous with their lives, then God is going to be able to work through us to make an impact in this community. I heard something this week by Ray Johnston, who's a pastor up in the uh, Sacramento area, and he said this, "Nothing great happens through you until it happens in you." Let me say it again: Nothing great happens through you until it happens in you. And so here's how I want to close, and here's our prayer. I, I, want, I want our prayer to be simply this. God, have your way in me. And, and the moment I really am genuine about that, then God's going to have his way through me. But I, but I need to let him in. It, it could be you say, yeah, I, I already accepted Jesus as my Lord. But... But I've reserved lordship of this department of my life. I've I reserve. I get to call the shots in this area. I, I get to do th- whatever it is. Like, okay, I, I wanna, I'm going to give you my life. I, I don't want to go to hell someday. I want to be forgiven. But I'm not sure I'm completely surrendered. And so maybe our prayer is just, God, have your way in me so that you can have your way through me. Okay, let's pray. Let's, let's close our eyes. Father, we do come to you right now. I mean, it is, it's is—it's absurd to think that you would want to do ministry through us when you could just snap your fingers and anything gets done. But you have chosen to work through us, and we want to say thank you. Thank you for inviting us into this. Thank you for using us. Thank you, thank you God, for, for healing us and making us whole and doing that work in us. And so, God, that's, that's our prayer tonight. God, would you please come in? Would you take over, be completely in charge, come in us so that you can work through us? In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen.